this image of there was a tribe in Uganda who has Facebook access <laughs> who reached out to me and we did a, a hero story on them. And to see these dudes living in Uganda, like barely having running water, making the same here sign, you as an advocate and Dan Carcillo as, as a celebrity and me as someone who's, you know, I guess if you will, shepherding this, this, this organization, we should all feel like goosebumps seeing that, you know, like that the world can be connected through that is just amazing. Um, and, and that's the power of teamwork. That was Eric Cusin. And I'm Brad, and this is Beyond the Big Red Truck Podcast. Hey everyone, what is up? Thank you so much for joining me today. Had an amazing conversation with Eric Cusin. He is the founder of the nonprofit called We're All a Little Crazy. And how I met Eric was actually through the Theo Fleury podcast. So at the end of, of that podcast, after you know that great conversation me and Theo had, Theo said, hey, you got to hook up with this guy, Eric. He, what he's doing is amazing. He's creating uh, celebrity alliances and this advocacy alliance and all these different amazing platforms for people to share their mental health stories and you know in the spirit of helping others really and it was it's not just about uh saying that this celebrity has this problem and they've come out now and and uh you know um promoting it that way it is truly about yes talking about what's happened and the struggles that they might have gone through but it's also about solutions and how we're going to help people so it's an amazing concept uh, just a little bit of background on Eric. He went from working in the NBA as a, as a marketing executive, uh, senior director of group sales with the Phoenix Suns. He's a VP of ticket sales and service with the New Jersey Devils. Then he moved up to the chief revenue officer for the Florida Panthers. And Eric was suffering, despite what on the outside you might consider uh, looking like the normal existence in life. However, Eric was struggling and he spent the better part of two and a half years in bed uh, dealing with mental health issues and really coming out of it thinking that he needed to help other people. So I'll let him tell you more about it. It's an amazing story. Our conversation uh, there might be a couple F-bombs in there, so it's going to have the explicit tag on this podcast. But that being said, I hope you guys enjoy a conversation with Eric Cusin from We're All a Little Crazy. So what's uh, what's happening? It's Friday in New York City. What's happening in uh, in old New York City today? Are you, are you right like in the city, or where whereabouts are you? Yeah, so... Um... I, uh, I'm living in Long Island and I'm, uh, commuting in to our offices when I say our offices. Um, so the genesis of how a lot of this came about was when I first learned how to heal and I, and I really use that term strongly learn because I think for so long I went, 
thinking there's a magic pill that's going to get me better. And mm-hmm. that's what I chased after. And that, you know, was taught basically that stress and trauma had affected my system and I needed to rehab my way out of it. Um, so for two and a half years, laying in a bed, staring at a ceiling, not interested in anything to then be told you, you should try this breathing practice and this meditation practice and this yoga practice doing that for a month and a half consistently got me back to functional to the point where, um, I, I was itching to do something, uh, cerebral, mm-hmm. um, where again, because of that two and a half year period, like my brain just, the, the dots weren't connecting that the tracks weren't connected either. And so once I got back to thinking strategically, like I wanted to use that ability of like chomping at the bit because it had been so long. So there were friends of mine that had stayed in touch um, who I met through the basketball world. When I graduated college, we played in a number of leagues together in the city. And two of them um, own, uh, started a, an advertising agency uh, back in early 2000s. And so they they reached out like you know we had been in touch they've been checking in to see um how i've been doing but then once i started feeling better they kind of floated out hey why don't you come into the offices it'll help you get out of the house a little bit and we're working on some pitches for brand partners we'd love for you to take a look at them and you know it's mutually beneficial get you out of the house get you working get your mind thinking again and we can use the extra eyeballs so um, I started doing that and it's been a great place for me because that's where in getting back into the work routine about a week into being there with them in Manhattan, um, we started to collaborate after they heard me <laughs> talking to all these people on the phone about uh, their own traumas that they were going through amidst my job, if you will, working uh, at agency related Um and so I, I ended up coming on board with them as a partner. Um, more so, um, I guess you look at it like the nonprofit that I started combined with, they have all these brand partners um, that they do marketing and advertising and communications work for, um, but they also have individual IPs that they start up. So one of them is called, for example, Animatic. Uh, which is a digital animation tool for mobile and desktop for this bevy of professional animators out there to be able to create on the go. Um, And so there's this interactivity that goes on between their creative help on the nonprofit work, um, my help with some of their brand partner stuff or making introductions to them um, to get uh, strategic partnerships for the animation tool. So it's just a, it's a collaborative environment. And now we've merged with uh, this PR company, Mission PR, and this other branding organization called Troika Branding. So we've got about 150 employees now, and we actually moved offices down to Dumbo, oh, wow. Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Sorry, nice. my dog's barking in the background okay. there. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's pretty awesome, like going from, you know, still mom and pop because like we enjoy the independence of you know uh not being owned by some large subsidiary but um in merging with these other two we have a lot more resources available to us 
Um, and you combine, you know, the branding side with the marketing, advertising, and communication side with the PR side. It's a pretty awesome, um, I guess, you know, outfit to be able to work with brands and help them get their message out. And so, uh, you know, the two partners, this is before any of the merger stuff happened, right. they were pretty instrumental in brainstorming with me on this concept because, you know, Brad, the interesting thing is like, I, I put my story out there on, we were talking about social media before I wasn't a social media user at all. Like I had LinkedIn and Facebook and I was one of those voyeurs. If you look at the model of like how social media works, I was just someone who watched what everyone else did. (laughs) I wasn't much of a poster myself. Yeah. And I was like, well, shit, I've got a story that I need to share. There was, it was 50% selfish and 50% altruistic. The 50% that was selfish in sharing the story was I had this network of people in the sports community that I had built up for the 15 or so years I worked that probably thought I was an asshole and then just left the, the world and, and was no longer interested in staying in touch because they didn't know that I was sick. Yeah. So I wanted to let it be known that, hey, I hadn't just ditched everyone and left. Like, I, I'd been going through shit, and here's what it was. Yeah, no, I get and that. Then the 50% yeah. that was, <laughs> and, then, and then the 50% that was altruistic was, um, hey, I've got a story here that probably could help some people. And I put my uh, personal telephone number and personal email address on there to say, hey, if anyone's going through this, you know, please reach out. And the funny thing is you'll have this, like, you know, my network on LinkedIn, like anyone else, you know, it was like 1,700 people, you know, some of whom you're close with, some of whom you just met in passing at a conference. And so in my mind, doing the math, you're like, oh, you put the story out there. It only gets to, you know, two, you know, 200 to 500 of the people who are in your list. And then of those people, how many actually read it and how many actually engage with it. If I can, you know, get 10 people to react to this and help those people out, even one person, but you know, 10 was my goal, then, then great. Then I'd help those people live a better life or be healthier or whatever it is. And, um, before I knew it, it was like read a hundred thousand times in that first week on LinkedIn and just started getting shared and shared. And then I got over 400 calls as far as China from people, you know, it was everything from, I needed that description to be able to print it out and hand it to my parents or to my loved ones to explain to them what's going on with me, kind of like what you and I spoke about before. Or I'm going through something similar. What did you do to get better? I need to get better now. Please help me. Um, And so being at that ad agency at the time, I spoke to the partners there and I was like, look, you know, I'd like to spend the next week or so getting back to all these people. And, And they were totally cool about it. I mean, it wasn't like a formal working relationship. So right. it was like, you know, whatever I needed to spend my time on. And so we have an open office space and I just started uh, calling all those people back. And that's when I realized what a large epidemic this was, you know, hearing from people who were coming out of the woodworks who were fearful of putting it online or talking about it or talking about it with friends and family, personally, even they, felt, I guess, a comfort level just because I had shared to be able to share their story with me and ask how they could get better. So I'm like, all right, there's way more people suffering out there. And even though it's not suffering, just dealing with something bad, if you use that term, than the one in five number that's constantly shared of people who, quote, unquote, have disorder. 
um, we got to get a, a message out to the masses. And so when that week was over, I went in, you know, we had a end of week recap meeting, um, just me and the other two guys. And they have like a, a wall with a whiteboard um, painted on the wall. And, and remember they both look at me and they're like, we're hearing like a pretty consistent theme when you're talking to people on the phone. And I was like, Oh, what's that? And, and they're like, well, regardless of who you speak to, whether it's the parents, whether it's the person going through it themselves, whether it's a coworker, like everyone's revealing their own shit. Like everyone is a little fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much true. Um, I was like, I don't think that we could really market everyone's a little fucked up, <laughs> um, but, but it, it tends to be the, the case. And so, you know, with all due credit, my, my, my partner, Darren goes up to the whiteboard and writes, we're all a little crazy on the board. And it took me a second um, to react to it only because I love the inclusivity of we're all right. um, a little makes it soft so that it shows that, you know, everyone touches into this. It doesn't mean you have to be all the way to the level of disorder that I had been to, for example, or that you had been to. And then, you know, my, my addition to that was to say, we got to put quotes around the crazy. And when we work on the logo, we have to make it clear that we're almost making fun of the term crazy right. and having a playful way about it because just like we would make fun of the term normal, there's no one who's normal. So then if there's no one who's normal, there's no one who's technically crazy right. because you can't define those things, right? And so crazy is our, our way that makes us individual and unique and allows us to be us. And yes, it comes about from life experiences and, and what we've been through and what we've learned, but that's okay. That's like, that's what makes the color of life. And right. so you know, that's a more welcoming message than you're a mentally ill person or you have mental illness or, you know, with all due respect, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Like, I, I think right. they do amazing things, but I think the name, I, I went through it for two and a half yeah. years and I didn't want to raise my hand and say, hey, I'm part of the mentally ill group, right? You know, that that just that, that didn't resonate with me. And so... Um, this is more, I guess, you know, uh, it's a softer way to get people to, to turn their heads. And then, you know, you know, Theo and obviously, you know, he's such a great communicator. So when the thought was, all right, I've got this network of athletes that I have relationships with. Theo was not one of them. I'll tell you the story of Theo in a second. Um, it was more like I'm one step removed because I worked on a business side of sports teams from these athletes who started to talk about it the issue that I'm seeing in terms of what the media does is the media takes these stories and they create one-off catastrophe stories and they make these stories live in a vacuum as if they're not connected to one another. And so the thought was in, in creating, we're all a little crazy. That was like the umbrella, but can we create an alliance of celebrities, influencers, practitioners, advocates, technology providers, all of whom um, can, uh, you know, look at it in, in their own individual way that they've been through something, um, but at the same time, a collective and unified way that ties the stories together so that uh, when the masses are looking at this and hearing about it, they can say, holy shit, 
Like, I get it now. More right. and more people are part of that, right? And so that's where so the Theo thing, he was one of the first athletes I reached out to. And unlike the other ones who were through personal connections, I literally wrote Theo this, like, diatribe on LinkedIn and that little tiny box that they give you yeah. to, to write to people. And he writes back, and he's just like, I like this idea. Get in touch with my assistant, Dawn. Yeah. Um, so, so, I know. I've, so, I've talked to Dawn too. <laughs> okay. So you know, so you know the deal. So, yeah. so I, I, I reach out to Dawn. She sets up time to, to speak with Theo, and I'm explaining this idea to him, and he likes it, and, and so he starts sharing back with me. But I go, look, Theo. I go, I want to make sure I'm partnering with the right people. Um, uh, no disrespect to you and your message. I just want to get to know you better as a person. I'm going to ask you a hard-hitting story if you don't mind answering it for me. I said, would you be willing to give up uh, your favorite NHL goal you've ever scored to save someone's life? And he said to me, you know, I'll take that a step further. I'd be willing to give up my Stanley Cup ring and my Olympic gold medal just to change someone's life. Right. And when I heard that, I was like, holy shit, you know, like this is, this is the right guy. Give me chills. Like, here, yeah, here, yeah, yeah. And then, I'm getting chills right now. I know, right? And, <laughs> and, and you hear that from like an NHL superstar. You're like, that's pretty impactful. So he's like, look, Eric, I was put on this earth to help people. Playing hockey, I loved what I did. And looking back on it, it was an incredible experience. But like, I, would, I did that. I realized that I had to be given this platform to give back and to help change people and, and save people's lives. And so he starts telling me the story of how he came to that realization and how he was at his first book signing ever um, when his first book came out. And there was a guy standing in line who he, he described as looking homeless. He said the guy was wearing, like, raggedy clothes, and um, his head was down. He had, like, a, a hat hunched over his eyes so you could barely see his face. And as most of us who are obsessive thinkers can probably relate to, you know, he's signing autographs, talking to people that are coming up the line, but his mind is constantly on the dude who's, yeah. <laughs> you know, inching his way closer on the line, thinking, what's this guy going to say to me? And the guy finally gets up to the front of the line, puts the book down. Now, keep in mind, this is like seven years ago. Puts the book down, looks him in the eyes, and just says, me too, right? And so he tells me this story. This is before the Harvey Weinstein thing because I spoke to him in August of 2017. Yeah. And I hear that. And I'm like, I, I like the same way that you reacted to the story of, um, you know, the, the giving up his ring or his medal. Yeah, yeah. I reacted to the, um, the me too thing being like, Holy shit. And I said to him, I go, that's saying a thousand words between the two of you that are shared just by sharing two words. Right. And, um, I immediately, after I got off the phone with him, I went to the American Sign Language website, which is, I think, very visually. Um, it kind of ideas come to my head in pictures. And so I was thinking, like, there's got to be a way for us to be able to connect this message in a visual way so that people get it and can all be a part of something just bigger than the whole. Because, yes, crazy is a cool logo and design and, and people can 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 feel more open about relating to that but is there some kind of signal that can tie us together so i looked up me too in the american sign language dictionary and it was 
you know, this the, the sign that we're now using, which is your thumb pointed to your chest, your three fingers curled, and then the pinky pointed out at, at the person that you're talking to. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing that, like, that's resonated the way that it has. Like, when we did our launch event um, in November, shortly after that, oh, let me, let me quickly take it through how that, that, uh, that navigated into same here. So, yeah, yeah. You know the the Harvey the Harvey Weinstein thing happens, and then the whole Me Too movement happens. And you know, I said to Theo, I'm like, no disrespect to what this gentleman said to you initially, but I went on the American Sign Language website again, and and the synonym for Me Too is same here. I was like, you know, I think we could still get the same message across. I hope you don't mind that I'm tweaking the the realities of how this actually happened. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm open to being transparent about it. And by the way, I want everyone to know that this always stems from you. So like in all of our marketing materials, all of our websites, you know, stories about it, I always reference that this idea for the hand gesture and, and this concept of creating a senior movement came from, from here and from Theo. Um, but yeah, we changed it to same here to obviously di- differentiate from, from the Me Too movement. Um, and it's, it's just been awesome. Like I got a text message last night from, um, there's a, a young player, uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. He's the first round pick, uh, from this past year. He was drafted in the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, farm system. You love this because of the baseball tie-in and drafted by the Pirates was a pitcher was, was just right out of high school, like literally supposed to be the, the, the next coming of, you know, name, name the top pitcher out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I didn't follow him close enough to say whether it was, you know, a Glavin versus a Smoltz, but, yeah. um, you know, highly touted prospect and he gets the yips from, you know, anxiety. He can't place the ball anymore, throwing right. it. And so he hadn't used up his eligibility in college because he never went to college. He got drafted right out of high school. So he goes back to South Carolina and plays three years of football as a tight end at South Carolina and just gets drafted number one overall by – not number one overall, the first-round pick by, yeah. by the Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens have a very storied franchise with tight ends, with Todd Heap and Ozzie. I mean, you know, like they have like – that's a great place to be a tight end. Yeah, and yeah. so I got connected with his mother, um, who is salt in the earth, amazing person. And he's joining our alliance. And at the end of his first ever preseason game last night, I get a picture from him holding his pads on the field, making the same hair sign at me. Nice. You know? So, like, you just, you know, you hear stories like that and, and, and you get little glimpses of the universality of people saying, like, and, and same here stands not for, hey, Brad, I have anxiety, you have anxiety, or hey, Brad, I have depression or PTSD, and you have depression or PTSD. It stands for, I face life challenges, you face life challenges. Those challenges have, have affected my mental health in some way. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the extent to which we shy away from that conversation, that should make the conversation so much easier because who the hell in the world hasn't faced challenges, Right. Um, and, and well, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, that sometimes too, I know, you know, sometimes if you don't, you know, you don't know sometimes maybe if 
what you're doing is impacting people. You kind of have an idea. Yeah, it is. I know it is, but sometimes you might not hear it for a bit. And that one picture can just go, okay, you know, you know that you're doing the right thing and it's all worth it. And you're all, it's all, it's all working just from, you know, one picture, uh, that, that you saw, you know, online or that he sent to you. So yeah, I know. I totally get that. So sounds awesome, man. man. Um, yeah, keep going. If you, you know, I know you got more to say, so (laughs) I'm loving this. This is, uh, this is, um, you know, my mind is, is being blown here. I have, I'm taking lots of notes and we'll see what we get to, but, uh, I'm love here. I just want to hear the story, man. And, uh, yeah. So, so continue. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks. So, uh, thanks for the, the, the runway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, so, you know, look, my background is in, you know, sports and business development. So I'd never had a nonprofit background per se. And again, like, you know, when I went through this coming out of it, the, the idea was uh, maybe I can like, like you were saying how you wrote down what you'd been going through. I kind of in the midst of my, you know, inability to really put thoughts together was jotting little notes down on my phone. And so my thought was always, all right, my contribution back to society from this is going to be a book. I'll write something where I'll be able to tap back into that time period. And then, you know, the realities of platform and business, it kind of, it's funny, like how it just works out and serendipitously is you, your ability to write a book, unless you're going to self-publish and try and promote a shed on your own on Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is very difficult to do, yeah. <laughs> is it, pretty minimal. Um, and um, it doesn't matter how great your story is. It doesn't matter how great you write it. Um, like, if you're not a person of influence, quote-unquote, you know, um, you're not going to find many publishers who are going to take a chance on it. And so I, I, I the book is written like I, and, and the book was written because I, I wanted it to be a, a guide for people who are going through this shit to be like, yes, I can relate to that feeling. I, mm-hmm. Okay, that's what anhedonia is. That's what depersonalization is. That's what disassociation is. That's what feeling like I have no concept of time is. Okay, I get that. And to, to give people comfort that um, – all right, I'm feeling that right now. This guy right here is telling me he felt that for such a long time, and now he's back to being better in, in a routine. I can get back to that point too, because I think so much of um, what we hear about, you know, awfully in, in the media um, with Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, and you hear about these tragedies, and 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 people still don't understand suicide and don't understand why you know, suicide happens. Um, I have a theory on it. And, 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 the, and the interesting thing is I'll, I'll say this unapologetically is I don't think doctors are any closer to solving, you know, scientifically why and how suicide takes place. So why is someone who has a lived experience who can kind of define what it felt like in their head to have suicidal ideations? Why should their opinion be any less, you know, important than a doctor who's studying it, who's just looking at it through a lens of a microscope. Right. Um, so, um, again, sorry about my dog in the background. You know, that's okay. That's, um, that's, that's what makes it all normal. 
That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got my brother's dog over to do oh. mine, so the, the two of them when they get together, they uh they get a little loud. Yeah. Um. So so yeah so so my thought on on the whole suicide thing is this like and 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 again it goes back to the reason for writing the book is um I believe that when stress and trauma affect our systems, our thoughts begin to change, start to go down different tracks. Combined with the fact that we lose this concept of hope, right? So our ability to tap into these hits of these neurotransmitters that we normally get on an everyday basis, like dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine, they're not there. So if you're not getting these hits of these these neurotransmitters, then your ability to think about an event or an upcoming, you know, uh, uh, thing that you're going to be going to or a celebration or uh, anything that you're striving for, you can't get any feeling of, wow, this is motivating me to do this. Right. And so when that happens, it's, it's a loss of hope, right? And so if you combine a loss of hope with the thoughts that are changed down this track where these suicidal ideations start to come about. And we know enough now to know that people who go through major mental health complications have two major symptoms. One is thoughts of self-harm and one is thoughts of harm to others. And I believe these thoughts are going down these different tracks and we as humans were wired in such a way that we have creative minds. So let's take, having mental health complications out of it for a second. Who hasn't driven over a bridge at some point in their life and just looked over the side of the bridge as they're driving and been like, oh, shit, what would that be like to drive mm-hmm. off of that bridge? Yeah. Or driven in the left lane as, in, as the other cars are passing in the other left lane coming the opposite direction, literally separated by just a yellow line or a double yellow line being like, oh, shit, like if yeah. one of us turned the slightest bit to the left, we would – crash and kill each other right so these thoughts are already in our head like when we pass by a door that's closed we may never see the door again but our mind when we pass by that door we're what's behind that door so if we have these creative ideas that are in our minds that we're wondering what if or what about or you know how does that take place then it makes sense that when our thoughts switch down a different track we get obsessive about those thoughts that are, are malproductive to us and are maladaptive. And, and, and so you've got these, these error messages, what I call them, that are taking place combined with the hopelessness. So if you combine those two, now you take someone who is, is able to look big picture like an Anthony Bourdain or a Kate Spade and say, all right, I'm feeling this way. And I already have everything in the world that I could possibly want. I've got a loving family. I've got all the accolades in the world. I've got all the money in the world I need. If I can't get a rise out of this, what is the point of going on, right? right? And so the answer to that is that you can rehab your central nervous system and you can get back to feelings of hope and back to feelings of enjoyment. But when you're in that state, you don't know that. And when we don't educate people, they don't know that. So you've got people who are living in this state of hopelessness with the error messages without the knowledge that just like you could rehab a knee, you could rehab a central nervous system. And so they don't have the tools necessary 
to be able to fight off these thoughts and these, these impulse thoughts that are coming to them to say, no, stop that. I know I feel awful right now. I know I'm getting these impulses to do these things. I'm not going to do them because if I follow this treatment plan of breathing or yoga or meditation or mindfulness or tapping or havening or all these different things that are available to me to get better, if I do those, I can get these thoughts out of my head and I can get back to enjoying and these, these, these neurotransmitters will start to once again take shape and take hold in my brain. That's the knowledge that people need in order to fight through those thoughts so that this suicide epidemic stops. Right. But we're not doing that, right? Like we're not teaching people that. Instead, we're writing articles about what an awful tragedy, what could have been so bad, what situational thing happened in Anthony Bourdain's life, what fight did he get in, or what, you know, what part of, of Kate Spade's business went to shit that she she felt overwhelmed and, and had to end it. Like, that's not what happened. Right. You know? And again, I, I, obviously I'm not in their head. So when I say that's not what happened, I'm not trying to say that I'm a mind reader. I'm, I'm speaking from the standpoint of someone with a lived experience who knows what suicidal ideations feel like. And right. I can very concretely say that for me, it had nothing to do with anything situational and everything to do with my thoughts and my emotions had changed from the stress and trauma that had built up over time in my system. Right. And, and my fish could have died or a friend could have gotten to a car accident and situationally that wouldn't have been at that time what, what, what affected me. It, right. it was an effect of things that happened over time. Right. It's accumulation. changed my thought process. Right. Yep. Exactly. Well, and you know what, man, it, it, and it all comes back to the whole concept of what we're talking about and what you're talking about with we're all a little crazy and starting the conversation about mental health and the conversation makes it normal to talk about. And if we, you know, I, I believe that if we can be part of helping people start that conversation, then we can possibly avoid some of this stuff you're talking about. And then, you know, those, the, these suicides that are, you know, being so publicly, uh, you know, publicly scrutinized in the media and all that. And, and, and like you said, with kind of uneducated um, articles on, you know, just why someone did what they did and, and, and how someone who hasn't been through that experience, you know, is just writing an article on, you know, the outcome versus, you know, the, the actual experience that that person has gone through in their life. And, uh, so yeah, no, it, it, like exactly what you're saying and what your whole message is, it all, you know, to me, it's coming back to, you know, exactly what the intent of we're all a little crazy is and 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 raising the awareness and you know starting that conversation so i love it man yeah man and, and, and like and like the story you know sharing your story i think you saw it like you know anytime anyone shares their story i try and do like a little upfront piece on it and you know the shock value of your story i think you know it yourself uh so it probably didn't come out of left field when i when i shared it, it was like okay, here's a dude that you wouldn't expect to share emotions. You wouldn't expect that things, quote-unquote, affected him emotionally. You know, like, he's a sporty guy. He's, like, 
like a guy's guy. Yeah. And then what that does is it opens more people up to facing their own thoughts, facing their own, own emotions, even if it's they're doing it personally and they're checking themselves and they're saying, am I doing all right right now? Like, you know, let me, let me take, let me put my finger on the pulse and see. And our messages from a, from a very you know broad perspective in terms of who are the most funded nonprofits to be able to get messages out there in the U.S., in Canada, globally, I don't know that those messages, and I, I'm, I'm being nice by saying I don't know because I'm yeah. the answer they don't, but um, the messages don't speak to the masses. Right. Like, and, 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 you know, I probably talk about this one in five stat ad nauseum, but, it, but it, it pains me to see because you have people with marketing backgrounds or business development backgrounds putting these messages out there saying, Look at what a big epidemic it is. One in five people, one in five people can have this, and then they'll put the raw numbers to say one in five people, if there's, you know, X millions of people in this territory or this area, this equates to this many million people. What they're not realizing is that same one in five gives a green light to the majority of society to say, oh, wait, 80% of people don't deal with this? Yeah, I'm in that 80% group. I'm yeah, because I feel I, fine right now. It, it, but uh, exactly. you know, and, and what is what is that definition of fine, right? Like, like I learned all too easily that like the rug could get pulled out from underneath you in a matter of a week, you know. Well, yeah. And, and I think you learned it from you know, look, these things accumulate in our system, and they're lying underneath the surface. And it, you know, the story I shared yesterday about that uh, snowboarder, yeah. Like, you know, she had her parents think she had mental health complications. So I'm sure there was signs of things there. But if you really read between the lines and her dad saying, you know, this thing of missing the plane and not getting there for practice really threw her for a loop and made her feel like she let down her team and let down me. It, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm sounding a little bit, um, you know, contradictory here because I was saying it's not one situational thing that causes it. But in, in that particular case, when there's a history of trauma built up over time or our genetics are such that we don't have the strongest base, it can take one traumatic experience or right. one stressful event to then send us over the top. Right. And that's exactly um, what, what it, what it would be too. I mean, that makes total sense yep. because, you know, and, and you take that number, the one in five, but, you know, and then, okay, well, I'm in that 80%. I'm, uh, you know, that, that's not me. But who hasn't experienced some form of childhood trauma? Who has, you know, who hasn't experienced some yep. form of, you know, uh, anyways, I, I think that what you, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we said or that you had talked about previously too, and, and, you know, we've all had some experiences that have shaped the way that we, you know, live our lives and, and those, it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience. Like I'm, you know, seeing what I saw, you know, as a firefighter, those traumatic things, it could be, you know, something from your childhood that is, you know, even a parent's divorce or, or, you know, just something that wouldn't seem so impactful at the time but that's why i think too it's so important that that uh we we 
get this message out there and we helped in the prevention part of it, you know, because also it's kind of similar to, to the physical side of things. If you look at when you, you know, you go to the gym, uh, you know, you wait until you feel like, Oh, okay. I need to go to the gym because I'm so out of shape or I'm, you know, this or that. So I'm going and, you know, instead of just creating kind of like a maintenance and, you know, and I believe in that, you know, uh, a maintenance and prevention as opposed to a reactionary, Oh my God, I need help now. You know, imagine if we could all just have like this prevention and, and, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. I lost my thought there, but anyways, the, no, no, no. no the, I, like, but the, the, we talk about the comparison of physical, um, routines, physical health routines and mental health routines all the time. And, and, it's amazing as a society, like, if I said to you, Brad, what are 10 things you could do for your physical health? You would be able to rattle off right. swimming, um, boxing, kickboxing, running on a treadmill, running outside, weightlifting, right? Like, yeah. like nothing, you'd be able to rattle them off. Ask the average person, what are 10 things you could do for your mental health? Right. You get like, uh, I think you can meditate. Um <laughs> There's yeah. these apps that you can meditate with. And then, like, some people might put two and two together and realize that yoga is for the mind as much as it is for the body, um, maybe more so for the mind. Um, but, like, beyond that, it kind of stops there. Yeah. And, and educating people on all the things that are out there to improve your mental health and to maintain a, 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 a mental health routine. Because, like, the analogy that you're making about um, – you know, we realize we're getting fat or, or getting out of shape, uh, whatever the term is. I don't want to trigger anyone, you know, with no, no, body no. dysmorphia issues, but, but, you know, you, you, you see it and you feel it. So you go and you, and you try to do something about it. It triggers you to, in a good way, go and be proactive about it. When it comes to your mental health, we put it off because we don't see it. Right. So we don't see the brain getting fatter, right? Right. Like it, 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 that in that analogy. And so it, it, we wait until these awful symptoms start to come about until we do something. And then even then, like if you see some of the latest research with parents and kids, there's all these statistics on why parents don't ask for help when their kids are going through mental health complications. And it, the last research that I saw is amazing. It was 84% of, of parents who didn't, get mental health treatment for their kids upon the initial uh, symptoms that they felt uh, said that they did it because they felt the symptoms would go away. That's the reason why they didn't ask for help. And then 11% said that they did it because they were fearful of the stigma, right? right. So now that you talk about it, it's 95% of the reason. And then, and then you know, there's obviously 5% for other reasons that are mixed in there. But if, if you look at that 84%, who say that they did do it because they thought that the symptoms were going away. The true answer to most of those 84% is they thought it'd go away because they were afraid of the stigma. They didn't want to ask for help. So it it bleeds into that 11% number. And so then you take, you turn that around on someone. You say, if your child had a 99 or even a hundred fever, would you not take them to the doctor? If your child uh, for the first time ever said they had pain, where their appendix was, would you not take them to the doctor or to the ER? Like, 
it's amazing. We don't, we don't treat mental health, forgetting about like society wise and what we do in the medical profession right. as individuals and as families, we, we, we don't raise the red flag when there's mental health complications right. and we let them sit and we let them sit. And that's why they develop over time and get worse. Right. Yeah, man, it just, the more we talk about it and the more I listen and, you know, I'm not laughing as it's, it's not humorous, but I just, it's like, man, we got so much work to do, buddy. (laughs) There's so many ways to, to approach this and, you know, it just, what you're saying and then it, uh, you know, resonates with me. I think, you know, why isn't there more in schools? Why isn't there more, you know, that's why I'm working with uh, this company point eight training and development and it's sports counseling. And that's the, the program that, that, you know, basically helped me and, and, you know, help save my life, their mental strength training program. And we're developing a, which is coming out hopefully at the end of August, but a program for, you know, mental strength training and, and youth sports and, and, you know, giving these kids the tools that can transfer from, we're using sports as the avenue, but transfer from the field into life so life skills you know in sports and it's you know like i love that you're doing in sports like you know the um the thing is like um you look at the sports opportunity you look at the K through 12 opportunity, you look at the corporate office opportunity in every aspect of society where we are congregating as people at different ages, we should be educating about right. this, right? And we're not. And, and again, I didn't grow up in Canada, so I don't know if it was the same case there. Love to hear it. But here in the U.S., like Nancy Reagan declared war on drugs in the 80s, right? Yeah. And so what did we do immediately to react to that? We had all of these school assemblies that we went through as kids on the dangers of drugs, and this is what drugs do to your brain. And we had police officers come in and talk about these are narcotics versus this type of drug, and this is how it interacts in your system. And I'm sitting there as a kid who wasn't into drugs thinking, like, why am I learning about this? Uh, It's cool. Like, oh, maybe it's helping the guy to my left or the girl to my right. All right. And it's funny that, like, thinking back to then, that was my thought process. And now I look at a big picture and I'm saying to myself, how many people who are out there who do get involved with drugs do it because they're in pain, emotional pain, they're doing it for self-medicating purposes? And, again, going back to, like, media and even TV, radio, film, like, they their perception of – and the way that they portray, I should say, drugs is – Oh, people get involved in drugs because they party too hard or because they want to look cool with their friends. Look, I'm not saying that's not some percentage of it, but the more I learn about it, the more I I turn over the stones, the more I speak to people who who did do drugs heavily when they were younger and now don't do them now, the more I realize, like, the epidemic with drugs is based on mental health and based on people trying to self-medicate and get away from those negative feelings that they were having. And so... We put the cart before the horse in education. Yes. We, we educated people on why they shouldn't do drugs without talking about what is the reason why they're doing drugs in the first place. And can right. we educate you on understanding and noticing what those things are so that you don't turn to drugs. And you right. turn instead to these healthy habits that help you help you manage it and deal. 
yeah. and, and feel better even than when the drugs will make you feel temporarily for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I get that because, you know, in society and I can, I can speak from the, you know, in the fire hall perspective too, is, you know, we in society as well, we're, we're reactionary more often than, you know, preventative, right? Um, we try and prevent yep. some things, but, you know, we're very reactionary if it's not, you know, like, uh, the Yogi, Yogi Berra, the Yogiism, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I don't know, man. Like, how about a little bit of maintenance, a little bit of awareness and, you know, in the, in the fire hall too, where, where it sounds like it's getting better, uh, you know, and they're, they're progressing, but you know, we have a fire prevention division. So we're out there, we're helping people, we're educating people, we're trying to get them, uh, you know, learning about how to prevent these incidents from happening by, you know, moving stuff out of door, you know, uh, moving, moving fire loads away from, from areas, uh, putting in, uh, sprinkler systems, putting in, um, smoke detectors and, you know, teaching kids how to get out of the house. If there is a fire, like all these things, and it's, it's all, you know, preventative, but when it comes to our own personal, guys or not guys as in males but uh firefighters in general male or female um you know it's it's about it's it's really reactionary as opposed to trying to build up some skills so that we have these tools to be able to at least cope with the the things that that we that we see and that can translate into the rest of your life and other it's not just firefighting i mean that that can be that's that's everything you know, so anyways, like you said, the schools and the no, you, you, sports and all that it, stuff, it, right? So, so I think I might have mentioned to you, but like, there's a guy I want to introduce you to who's on the Celebrity Alliance. He was a NBA referee for twenty uh, some odd years. Yeah, the exact number of years. Yeah, I. Um, I but his name. Oh, I, so I did. I did tell you a little bit about him. Um, so his name is Bob Delaney, mm-hmm. and. Um, he was an undercover New Jersey state trooper uh, to start his career. And um, he, he was told by the, 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 I guess the powers that be that he'd be on this. Um, uh, he would be on this case, so to speak for about eight months of infiltrating organized crime. Well, right. eight months turned into eight years. And this is in the early 80s where he came out of it, where um, uh, PTSD wasn't even diagnosed back then. Right. Um, and, and so um, he, uh, he's, he's laboring through this and going through these awful feelings. And the only way he's able to get away from these feelings is by taking on another passion and focusing there. So he starts focusing on becoming a referee. And basically his escape from these feelings were being between the lines, you know, um, and and focusing all of his energy and effort on that for 20 some odd years comes out of, of, of um, active, you know, uh, being on the court and goes to work for the NBA league office as their director of, of officiating. 
uh, which which occupies his mind for a good amount of time. And then he realizes, like, I've got this story that I need to share. And so he starts uh, working with the, with the U.S. military. And his message now, he gets flown all over the world, not just the country, so training bases and active duty um, out in Afghanistan. And you, you name them as he says, you're all very selfless people um, who, are, who are defending our country and putting your life and your health on the line. I'm asking you personally, based on my life experience, to be selfish for at least 20 to 30 minutes a day because you don't realize what you're going through, what you're seeing, what is being imprinted on your system and on your brain, on your central nervous system on an everyday basis. And you don't want to come back from this and have it come back to haunt you. So I'm asking you to be selfish for about 20 or 30 minutes a day and do these things that I show you to be prevented in so that when you come back, you're not going through the same things that I went through, right. you know? And, and, and look, that's in, in, you know, the military world, the first responder world, obviously an extremely important message, but like you think about just life in general, okay, maybe the person who's an accountant for 40 years isn't seeing explosions happen or, you know, God forbid their friends uh, getting blown up or, you know, awful tragedies, but they're facing tragedies in them themselves in life, and they need to be told that with coping skills also. Right. Um, and to be preventative and to be ready for when shit hits the fan, which it eventually does for most people. Right. Um, so it's, it really is like, it's amazing how much we're, we're all different in our experiences, but we're all similar in terms of how it affects us. Um, yeah, no, so I 100% it, it, agree. It, yeah. It's, I 100% agree yeah, with that. Like, we're all human. And, uh, you know, like yep. I think we've talked about it before too. Our experiences are different, but the results, because we are human, and we're all wired the same, well, for the most part, Enough. we're all wired yeah, the yeah, same, yeah. Are, are, are the results of those experiences the untreated, and, and I, I like to use the term, uh, you know, untreated, repeated exposure to trauma. And yep. that's that. the results are the same, you know, and like that's why it doesn't matter if it's, you know, it could be something as small as somebody didn't put something back in the right spot. And that might be the thing that because your brain is so clogged up and you're living, if you're living your life in that fight or flight mode and you don't have your, you know, your neocortex working properly because it's, it's clogged up with you know, so you don't have your rational thinking and, and that ability because you're in constant fight or flight. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that one little thing, it doesn't even matter what it is. It's because it's not rational. You're not thinking rationally. And so the results will be the same, regardless of the experience, I believe, anyways. Yep, so. I, I, I completely agree with you, man. And, and isn't it scary that, you know, it, it's... It, it's complicated to understand, but it's also simple to understand because yeah. if you break it down to our old brain versus our new brain, 
you know, that fight or flight mode and being emotionally on edge and being, you know, um, uh, at, at the drop of a hat, uh, you know, going over the top, that ability to rational, rationally think our new brain kind of goes out of the window. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's, it's scary. And, and then, you know, going back to the whole impulse messages things, you know, that piece of it, the amazing thing to me in feeling suicidal ideations, and I used to be afraid to use that term publicly because you, you wonder what the stigma is around that. Like, now the more I know about it and the more I, I try to educate others on it, I don't care if anyone judges me on it. Like, no. I felt them not because I'm this person who doesn't like life and wanted to end things. I felt them because shit built up, my system changed, you know, organically, and it, this was a side effect of it, right? right. And so, like, it's not just, like, okay, fight or flight mode is part of it, but, like, when these ideations come, you have, like, this ability to step back and, and think with what I, I – it feels like to me, like, the back of your brain kind of globally looking at yourself and being like, Brad, Eric, like, what are these thoughts? Why are you thinking these things? These, this is not what you want to feel. Right. And then – you can do that for a while, and then the, the, the one time I went to the hospital um, was when I couldn't control myself anymore. So those thoughts, I should say those impulse feelings, those impulse messages were so strong that even the rational thinking part of my brain that was able to observe those things couldn't stop my actions. Right. And I was like, I feel like I'm going to go grab the bottle of pills and swallow them. Right. I need help right now. I can't stop myself from this. And, you know, it's, it's scary to have to give in that way, but like I'll, I'll use this one analogy because I, I think it's strong to help people who have never felt them to understand what they feel like is those of us who drank alcohol before, which I think is many of us. <laughs> um, if we've, if we've been hung over, um, and we, um, wake up the next morning and our mouth is dry and, you know, pounding headache, we typically get a strong craving for something, right? Everyone typically has their go-to, whether yeah. it's, I got to open up the refrigerator and get the Gatorade or get the orange juice is my drink or apple juice is my drink, whatever it is, yeah. everyone's got the thing that is there. Like greasy you know, breakfast or something. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you wake up. And all of a sudden, your mind is so focused on that thing. And it's like, I must get that thing. I must feel that thing right now in order to feel whole right now. Like, I can't begin my day until I do that. So in my case, like, you, you make a beeline as fast as you can, depending on how you're feeling, to the refrigerator. You, you quickly open up the refrigerator door. You're searching around. For me, it's that orange juice. Like, you, you, you can't wait to find that container. You pour a huge glass because you want it to be fulfilling and you want it to, like, get at the, the part that's bothering you. And you down the thing as quickly as you can, and you feel this level of satisfaction afterwards, right, or, or this teeming, so to speak. Well, now, take that impulse message for the orange juice, which is a productive thing at that time, and now transfer that to imagine there's an impulse message for you need to jump over that bridge or you need to swallow that pill, those pills or you need to put your foot in front of that train as it goes by. Right. And the amazing thing is those thoughts actually enter your mind in that same way 
that when you're feeling healthy, that thought about orange juice enters your mind, that you need to accomplish it and you need to get to that point. And that's scary shit that that those thoughts are pushing you to do that. Right. And you're having to say to yourself, no, Brad, no, Brad, no, Brad, don't do this. This is not good. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Like, it is, it, you're, you're a prisoner in your own mind when that happens. And when, and when it gets to that point, it's scary shit. Oh, yeah. I, I you know, I can, you know, 100% relate to that, you know, and uh, yep. you I'm, just hope that, you know, we kind of have, and I mean, I can relate to all of that 100 percent. And, you know, and just, you know, for for people that are listening too, I mean, yes, it got to that point for me. And I remember specifically the last time that it, that it happened and I, where I had my aha moment. Somehow, I don't, you know, it, I I, I just had, you know, a moment of clarity of what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? Like, that's it. Yep. It's like, that's it. No more. You need to fix this. You need to get help. You need to, you know, as hard as it was to, you know, to ask for more help again and again and again, it was necessary. And, you know, just so people know too, you can overcome that and, you know, it, it does get better and we, we can all, you know, we can all fix those things and those thoughts and, 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 you know, those kind of cravings or, or whatever you want to call it that we have. So it can get better and it, it doesn't have to be that way. And just so you know that that's, you know, that's what happened for me. And, uh, you know, there is hope and there is possibilities. And I did feel that way, exactly what you were describing, but I was able to come out of it as well. So, and, and same with yourself, you know, but uh, anyways, I just kind of wanted to throw that, that in I there mean, too. Like, I know, I know we're having like, you know, just a conversation between the two of us and then like, you know, every so often you kind of dip out and you think, all right, there's listeners who are yeah. listening to this. So like, but it, it's so important to, to have it at home because like, you know, there's there's going to be people listening to this this podcast who are going to say, "Well, shit, I've been feeling these things. Um, I'm an alien. I'm I'm the only one who feels this way. Um, I can't believe my mind is going here. I must be so fucked up to the point where I'm beyond repair." Right. right? And it's so important to hear people who have gone through it understand it. Right now, because you know, I think you and I both agree we're, we're always susceptible. Yes. Um. Uh. Are, are on the other side of it. Um. To say you you can get better from this, right. and and I wish that was there when I went through it. And that's no disrespect to, you know, family or friends or anything. I don't know that there were too many people who did go through it no. who could have related to me. Um. Um. So, so you know, that's what I'm hoping is like we touch someone who hears this um, and says um, that, wow, I'm I'm feeling that same way, and right. these guys are talking about it past tense now. I can get better. Right. Well, yeah, because you know what, like you said, we're we're not talking about that once. We're we are talking about being healed and and healing, but I. 
you know, for me, it's, it's a process that it's been a process. Um, and yeah, it's been some hard work, but it's also going to continue and it's ongoing. And I do, I have a routine and I do the same thing. I try and, you know, almost every day I do the exact same thing when I get up, you know, because I am in control of that. I can't control the ex the external environment, uh, what happens outside, what I see, what I, you know, those types of things, but I can control what I can control. And that's, you know, what I do in the morning to get myself prepared for the day. Uh, you know, with my, my morning connection, my meditation, those types of things. And the way I like to explain it too, is it's like, you know, and I think the whole point of, you know, what we're talking about here too, is it's like a, it's like your, your car, right? If you, you buy a brand new car and you only put fuel in it. You don't change the oil. You don't do regular maintenance. You don't rotate your tires. You don't do anything else. That's just, that's the maintenance part of it. And you drive your car, you just put fuel in it. You drive it, you drive it, you drive it. It's going to eventually quit on you and break down and you need to either get a new car or you're going to have to spend a ton of money at the end of this. It might be five years down the road, but you're going to have to spend a lot of money, a lot of time, and maybe even have to, you know, get a new car, but hopefully it's not to that point. You have to, you'll get, you know, you'll be able to fix it. But if you spend the time in the, during that process of changing the oil, doing your regular maintenance, there's going to be some unforeseen things that happen to your car that you have to deal with along that way. But because you've done that maintenance, they're not going to be as big as if you did nothing on the way. So that's kind of the way that I, I look at it as well. You don't want to just fuel your car and let it run until it, it, it can't run anymore. You do that maintenance. You do the regular stuff. There's going to be challenges because that's life. That's the way it is. But if you do that maintenance, it's not as difficult to deal with those hiccups, those stresses, those things that happen to you in regular life than if you did nothing. Same physically, same with your car, same with your mind, you know? So anyways, that's kind of kind of the way that I, I look at that. No, and, and, now, and now flip that, right? Like flip that in the positive sense. Like there's a guy in the Advocacy Alliance with you well, I got to introduce you to. He's a great dude. His name is Blake Karinovic, and his his platform is Respect Your Gift, right? Right. And so, um, he's saying like, how do we use mental health and working on mental health to not only uh, deal with when things hit the fan and um, we start to fall apart so that we're prevented, but how do we use it on a positive to actually like be better at our job? be more loving with our family, like mm-hmm. be more ambitious, like, and, 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 and so look at it, you know, an example that we can all talk about, like you're, you're a gym goer. Like we've all seen the 75 year old dude who's doing pull-ups or on the treadmill running faster than we can. And we're like, how the hell is that guy doing that? Yeah. And it, it's, it's because they've taken care of their body. They've taken care of their machine, right? right? Like, They've done the things necessary to keep that. But look, age is going to catch up with all of us, right? Yes. And and our genetics and 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 genes get turned on and off, and and that's going to happen. You know, we can we can prevent it 
to the best of our ability, and unfortunately, in some cases, it happens regardless. But with what we have, we can totally, you know, do the best of our ability to maintain what we have and to even get better with, with what we were given and, and to defy time a little bit um, yeah. in doing so. And, you know, it, it's awful to see people go through dementia and Alzheimer's. And, you know, the, the more we're finding out about it, um, similar to the example with the gym, it's like you can do these exercises when you're younger to make sure that those things don't happen. And, in fact, you actually become more cerebral as you get older right. and are able to concentrate even more. And we've all, like, you know, it wasn't a thing back in the day just because this wasn't a hot topic, but, like, how many of us have had, the older member of our family, the stage in our family that we look at them are like, all right, they're not walking the way they used to, but that person's sharp as a whip. Right. <laughs> they're sharper than they've ever been. Yeah. And it's like, who knows, who knows why they're that way? But maybe, and I look at my grandmother, you know, knock on wood, um, she's sharp as she's ever been. She's 96 years old. Right. And um, she can't walk the way that she used to, which is really sad, you know, um, and we have to help her get around. But like, my opinion on why she is the way she is is because she says whatever the fuck is on her mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like, and, and like sometimes it's embarrassing. Like we're out at a restaurant and like she doesn't get the food that she likes. And she'll say to the waitress like, this isn't cooked correctly. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, Grandma, there's, you know, there's a more polite way to say that. Come yeah. on. And, and like, but that, that in and of itself could be the reason why she's maintained good mental health because, she dealt with trauma. My, my, you know, she saw my brother go through all these sicknesses that I did. She saw me go through my shit. She saw, you know, my uncle has had ten different surgeries. This is her son. Like, yeah. she's seen shit, you know, that that people deal with that are traumatic. But because she just let shit out, yeah. that can be the reason why she's maintained good mental health. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, man. And I think we, I think most of us can say we have one of those. Uh, or that person in our life as well, the uh, the outspoken. So it'd be interesting to do some some research on that too. But there's so much. I mean, honestly, we're we're just scraping the surface, and and there's so much to it. You know, the holistic part of it, and keeping care. You know, taking good care of your body. Uh, you know, as a whole, and the you know the the brain gut connection, and all you know all there's just there's so much that 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 we could talk about and all that but i really do you know i i love talking to you man and uh it's a great conversation and i also do really want to uh to talk about just a little bit uh you know about what we are all a little crazy is doing and kind of the structure just uh, you know just a little bit mm-hmm. about you know the same yeah. here heroes and the same here you know the celebs and the practitioners and you know the the continuum and the sit downs like all those things i think they're amazing and we don't have to get right into everything but um you know i know that the couple or the the few parts that i'm involved in and and and, and hopefully more cuz we did talk about the sit downs maybe and uh but just so people know what to do and how to you know where to find you and and all that kind of stuff. I, I really want to, uh, you know, promote uh, what you guys are doing with uh, with the nonprofit. Thank you, there. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so let me give you kind of a landscape of of the whole thing. Um, 
and um, hopefully it'll be helpful. So, you know, I mentioned my background is business development and, and, and marketing and, and advertising, you know, in the sports world. So, so when I look at um, what we're charged with as an organization, and when I say what we're charged with, I mean this shit happened to me. And then through very serendipitously putting my story out there from the beginning part of the conversation, this, you know, just absolute deluge of like, you know, people reaching out and asking for help and realizing how big this epidemic was. It's not like I set out to say, how do I create a movement that I hope will change the world one day, although that's a pretty fun thing to think about. It was more, I saw the issues that I dealt with, I saw that I went through different medication treatments and TMS therapy and ECT therapy. And, you know, I, I was getting contacted by people who had PTSD and OCD and, 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 and different types of trauma and, and, uh, and eating disorders. And it just hit me that like our broad way of talking about this mental health topic is all wrong. It's backwards. It's, it's, it's focused too much on disorder alone and not on general mental health. And right. so I kind of look at our organization and I say, okay, we're, we're charged with a couple of things based on that happening to me. One, you know, with the name, the way that it is it, being inclusive is we're charged with creating a, a, a marketing movement that is an awareness campaign that shakes people and opens people's eyes to the fact that we need to be thinking about this and we need to be proactively working on this, right? Um, and that's the reason for the alliances. That's the reason for working with people like Theo. That's the reason for partnering with people like you, um, getting technology providers involved, getting other nonprofits involved is let's, we're all going to have an individual story. We're all going to have an individual brand. The last thing I want to do is say to beyond the big red truck or to the breaking free foundation, Hey, stop operating under those names. That would be stupid of me. Number one, <laughs> number two, the reason why you have the audience you have and Theo has the audience that he has using just those as two examples is because your personal story resonates with a group of people. Right. And so, that group can can see that and say, ah, I'm a guy's guy also, or ah, I'm a first responder also, or ah, I'm a baseball player also, and 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 your message then resonates with them. So so the individuality of the brands needs to stay there, and then the connectivity across that is to say, we all go through shit, and it doesn't matter if it's me, Brad, who went through it because I saw things as a first responder. Or me, Theo, who went through it because I was sexually abused when I was younger. Or me, Eric, who went through it because I watched shit with my brother being sick and friends passing away when I was younger. Or Shamika Holtzclaw talking about it because the most important figure in her life, her grandmother, passed away. And that started to create suicidal ideations for her. Like, right. the, it, it doesn't matter the source of the trauma. The point is, we've got this myriad of things. Let's connect them in that this is mental health generally all of which affect us in some unique ways, in, in buckets of unique ways, right? And so that's the marketing message. Then we talk about the education piece. And so the education piece is the programmatic elements. And now we're stealing from the marketing element, which is the same here, tying this all together, and we're saying, okay, can we talk to K through 12? 
which we call our same here school program? Can we talk to colleges, which we call our same here sit downs? Can we talk to offices, which we call same here safe? We call it same here safe. People, you know, what's the relation with, with offices? Because people don't feel safe in their offices talking about this because they're afraid of how it's going to prevent them from getting promotions or how it's going to prevent them from, you know, maintaining or keeping their job. Right. So we want it to be a safe environment. And then with servicemen, we call it same here safe, um, servicemen and women. And so the, the, the thing that I believe we're charged with programmatically is creating vehicles for change by bringing together the power of people with personality who are willing to be vulnerable, advocates who are willing to be vulnerable, voices like Darren who are willing to be vulnerable, okay? And then music, I believe, is also a big piece of this because music moves people. Right. And so our programmatic elements tie together all of those pieces in a customized way for each one of those audiences. So it's not like we have this cookie cutter program for each of them. We've got elements that fit that are almost like a la carte menu items that we can plug in and plug out. But we do these programs for each of these areas of society so that we can create culture changing vehicles so that people leave these either events or weeks or year long programs that we do with them saying, I get it. We all go through it. That very successful person who was successful got knocked on their ass and is successful once again, they went through it. The person on my left, the person to my right, they're going to go through it. It's going to be on different levels. Mental health exists on this continuum where we're constantly fluctuating back and forth. Great. Okay. What do we do about it now? Okay. Here are the practices. We call them TSRR. Trauma, stress, release, and rewiring. And right. it's the stuff that you and I spoke about. It's, yep. it's the yoga, the meditation, the mindfulness, the breathing practice, having, tapping. And so we give people practical tools to be able to maintain or to better that mental health that they have. Um, and so there's that programmatic element piece. Um, then, you know, similar to what you're doing with the podcast piece, we'll be launching a same here show. Um, and, and, I believe, you know, look, like going back to the whole concept of everyone has their own individual brand, I believe there is the need for more and more podcasts out there. Yeah. And there's enough people in this world that will listen to the stories of other people to see what resonates. But we don't have to be worried about the world of competition when it comes to this. No. Um, and what I mean by that is now let's go back to that conversation about the one in five our messages so far have only spoken to this one in five group. What you're doing with beyond the big red show, what we will do with the same here show is we're opening up this conversation to the four and five people. Okay. Once you open up that conversation to the four and five people, there is an unlimited supply of people who need to hear this message. Right. And so, um, well, I shouldn't say unlimited. Obviously there's a, there's a cap on the number of people in this world. Well, <laughs> That's yeah, a little yeah. hyperbolic, but yeah, yeah. But my point is, everyone in the world, this message pertains to. And so, like, let's have at it. Like, there's no reason for, you know, a Joe Rogan show versus a Beyond the Big Red Truck versus a Same Here show versus name any other show that touched on mental health, whether directly or as a piece of it, to say, eh, I don't want to talk about that other show that's going on because they're going to take listeners from us or anything like that, like, no, like we should be working on this collectively and getting the word out and helping each other grow it. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think it's right for the taking, you know? 
Um, so, so that's the podcast piece of it. And then, you know, um, globally, the reason why, you know, from the beginning and people could maybe think that there was a, like a, a heady cocky piece of this, but we named it a global mental health movement from the beginning. And that was not meant because we're like, we have the solution and we have the answer. It was, it was done because I just looked around and I saw Prince Harry coming out and telling his story in the UK and I still saw people's reaction to that being poor guy lost his mom has to go to therapy he's in that mentally ill one in five category <laughs> it's like when are people gonna wake up and get this right so that's the UK and then I travel to other countries where it's like you know Southeast Asia people tell me like they literally even their own house they have to tiptoe around that they can't talk about it right. and so different cultures, different areas of the world, we're going to have to attack this differently because um, we have to open up the conversation and, and, and they might be at a place the U.S. or Canada was at in 1980 or 1990 or you know, different time frames, or it could be a completely different animal that we have to tackle. But the point is, like, we have to ap- approach this problem globally because right. it is affecting so many people. There's a million people dying by suicide every year around the world. Like, that number is fucking staggering. Yeah. Um, and and when when people like you and I who've been through it know that being given the education, the tools to know that you can rehab out of it is often the rope that you need to be able to grab onto to get someone to pull you out of that hole. That's what we need to educate people with. And that's what's going to start making the numbers get better. Right. Not just talking about it through marketing campaigns or through saying that a lot of people go through it or a celebrity saying I have depression too. That's not going to do it. We need to get in the trenches and we need to really talk about the similarities of symptoms and what gets people better. And, you know, hopefully that helped help give a good, you know, actually the one thing I'm going to touch on is our same here hero story. So we do a feature every day on the website, on social media, where we share, story of like we did with you an everyday yep. hero who talks about um the challenges in life that they face they the story doesn't even need to be about i face this challenge and therefore i develop depression i develop anxiety or i had genetic predisposition and i had, okay that's some of the stories but the story could be you know an influential person in my life passed away and i had a difficult time getting out of bed for three weeks uh last year that's a pretty important story to share yeah. for people who go through something similar, who are going to go through something similar to understand that. It's relatable. And so, so it's relatable. And, and then you take the same here stories and on our website, which is we are all little crazy.org. And you look at these celebrities and these influencers who have shared their own personal stories and you say, Oh, wow that story, if I didn't know that that person was a professional hockey player or a musician, I would say that's just a normal everyday person who is going through something just like I am. Right. Wow. Like, and so the point is to like show the similarities of what everyday people face versus what celebrities face so that it's not this taboo topic where it's like, oh, it's a big deal that Carson Daly came out and spoke about anxiety. <clears throat> I, I, I applaud these celebrities for coming out and talking about it. But the bridge that has to happen is we have to show the similarities between the two. So I'll end on this piece in terms of explaining the platform is one of the guys who's joining our alliance is this guy, Dan Carcillo, who 
NHL hockey player for a number of years, won two cups with uh, the, the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I'm familiar developed with Developed traumatic brain yeah. injury from – yeah, okay. So, so de- developed traumatic brain injury from, you know, contact sport and hockey, whether it was the fights, whether it was the hits, whatever it was. And someone – this goes back to the whole serendipitous nature of, of, like, how this thing developed. Someone who follows us on Twitter, and Twitter's our lowest – you know, number of followers. So like, it's not a large platform for us at the moment. Um, I guess saw Dan's video on the players tribune and saw, you know, had been following us and just wrote a tweet, you know, like the dynamics of it. I'm probably using the wrong term. Um, but like tweeted to the two of us and said, Dan, your video is amazing. Uh, Eric, and we're all a little crazy. Love what you're doing. You two guys should talk, right? Yeah. So I watched the video for the first time from that tweet because I, I didn't know it was out. It was like it had just been released by Players Tribune. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, this this video is five minutes of amazingness. Yeah. I know it's not a word, yeah. but I'm like, awesomeness. I'm like, and the reason why there's awesomeness here is because, okay, he spends the first two minutes talking about that he's an NHL player and that he won a cup and that he was hit in the head a bunch of times. Fine. Like, that's always part of every media story. But then I'm watching the last three minutes, and he's talking about the symptoms that he felt that affected his mental health, and he's talking about the solutions to get better from those symptoms. Right. And he's showing himself in these devices that doctors have developed to, to, to help him with the fluid that's in his inner ear to help even things out, and spatially with his eyes to get, to get him better. And so I'm looking at this, and I wrote to him, um, you know, it was, it had probably been out for a day and it had been seen by a million people or so at the time. So it was still pretty popular at, the, at that point, but I just wrote to him. I was like, Dan, this is incredible. Would love to talk. I think this video is going to go viral in a big way because you're talking about solutions and symptoms and solutions. And he wrote me back, you know, right away, which, which shows his character because he's obviously getting, you know, solicited by everyone. Yes. And we spoke that day for an hour and a half and just had like an awesome, you know, guy to guy or person to person conversation about what we've both been through and what it feels like and what we think needs to change. And sure enough, you know, you look three weeks later and his, his story, his, his video has been seen over 13 million times. It might be higher than that right now. Yeah, I know. And I hope that's a lesson to the media and obviously there's a lot of factors out there you know big pharma controlling messages and telling papers and media companies based on the fact that they advertise what can and can't be shown so i'm I, i'm probably you know uh, fighting up a a, a a big battle uphill that is, is difficult right now but yeah. to the media outlets out there that believe that the answer to getting people to read their papers or read their online publications or watch their shows is to use a celebrity name along with a disorder, along with a catastrophic outcome or erratic behavior. Let that be an example. Let Dan's video be an example that when you share symptoms and solutions and you get into the nitty gritty of it, that is what people want to see. Right. And the fact that that video organically is getting the number of views that it is, all we need to know about what people are thirsty for out there. Right. Yeah. No, so, no. so it's, it's more of that, man. You yeah. know, that's the type of shit we got to get out there. Yeah, no, I, uh, I love it. I, I'm very familiar with, uh, you know, that video and, you know, it resonates with me and I, I just, you know, I a hundred percent agree with, uh, you know, with what you're talking about as far as, 
is yeah the the story you know it's about the story but having those knowing that you can get through it and that there are solutions and you know maybe you know obviously everything's not going to work for everybody but instead of just always just talking about this is what happened having those making it even more real by saying this is what I did about it and this is how I got better and this is what can be done to even make it more you know improve more is you know that's truly amazing so um yeah I'm happy that uh that that Dan's coming on uh Dan's coming to join the uh the crew oh oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. I did I was, I was trying to figure out. so so yeah so and that's the beauty of it man it's like so so you think about the concept of alliance, right? And like, you know, some people will say to me, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention names because it's out there in the media. People know who these people are, but like, some people will say, this athlete or this celebrity talked about it. Why don't you get them on board? Um, and and I wish it was that people to just snap my fingers and be like, hey, we've got this movement, come join us. And then like everyone wanted to be a part of it. Um, the CEOs of the world. The Dan Carcillos of the world, the U's of the world, uh, the the um, Jamaica Whole Clause of the world. The fact that you know, and I think this is the biggest story in the whole concept of the alliance is checking ego in saying I'm not answering the solution by myself, but I want to be part of a team and part of a greater whole. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter that I'm a celebrity and that I'm going to be on the same quote-unquote level as an advocate or a technology partner or another nonprofit. The point is we're all in this together. We all have different roles to play in this. And so let's share and let's talk about it together and let's be teammates. So when you, you know, I love the way you described it. Like Dan's going to be joining me, you know, like that's, that's exactly how it should be Mm -hmm. looked at. Like, for, for classification purposes, do we have an advocacy alliance and an influencer alliance and a celebrity alliance? Yeah, because, you know, you want people to be able to search for certain topics based on um, the background that people have. But I don't, you know, as evidence of the fact that we, we share same here hero stories every day, I don't prioritize a celebrity's role in our alliance any more than I do an advocate's role, for example. Um, I think that equally as important. I think their stories are as important. And there, there's, an, there, there's, a, there's a true aspect, if, if we're being completely transparent, of the platforms of celebrities help us get the message out even further. Yes. And, and for that, I thank them tremendously, you know, and, and, and for them to have had the trust in this concept from the beginning is very humbling. Um, but I think... The, what makes those folks special is that they have no problem getting on a stage with a Brad, with an Eric, with Blake, who I mentioned before, the same way they would getting on a stage by themselves and having the spotlight on them on their own. Right. That That is a special person to be that way. And that's what we're going to build the organization around. Yeah. Um, we're not going to chase after people with big names just because they have a big name and a big platform. Like that, that's, I don't believe that's how change is going to happen. I think change is going to happen through consistency of the whole as opposed to, uh, or I should say the consistency of many creating a whole as opposed to, you know, just one big person of, of, of influence kind of talking about it on their own. Yeah. You know, and it, I just, I love that too. And it's such a simple, uh, 
a simple way to think of it. And this is even what I tell the, you know, the kids that I coach and that in my coaching philosophies, but, uh, the, you know, the word team can be broken down. If you break it down into together, everybody achieves more. It's so simple, but man, does it resonate if you really actually think about it? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the feeling I get you know, from, from what you're doing a hundred percent is, you know, if we can stick together, man, we'll just, we're going to be so much stronger together and link arms and just, you know, go at this as a team. Uh, you know, I'm super excited for the future, man. Same here, buddy. It's no pun intended. And, yeah. and like, you know, when you were just giving me the acronym for team, which is awesome. Um, you know, it just made me think to like, we're wired as humans to connect to stories, number one, and connect to things that are greater than, than ourselves. Right. And like, as you were talking, like, you know, it's fun. I told you, I think of things visually, like this image of there was a tribe in Uganda who has Facebook access, <laughs> who reached out to me and we did a, a hero story on them. And to see these dudes living in Uganda, yeah. like barely having running water, making yeah. the same here sign, you as an advocate and Dan Carcillo as, as a celebrity and me as someone who's, you know, I guess if you will, shepherding this, this, this organization, we should all feel like goosebumps seeing that, yeah. you know, like that the world can be connected through that is just amazing. Um, and, and that's the power of teamwork. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I'm just as excited, you know, man, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's an awesome experience to talk about it together. So absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool, man. Well, you know what? Uh, honestly, I would love to do this again because I think we could probably have, you know, 10 different episodes with, uh, the stuff that we talk about and, uh, I'd love to, uh, to talk more and talk and, and you know, again, and, and uh you know help out in any way that i can and i and i will be for sure but uh yeah man i think uh for the purpose of what we wanted to get out today i think that was unbelievable it was one of my favorite podcasts i i didn't really have to say much uh you know but uh <laughs> which which is awesome because like honestly that's the intent of my podcast and that's where it comes back to what you were talking about where I'm not in competition with anybody for my podcast. My podcast, I did it, I'm doing it because I want to talk to people who want to share their stories, who want to help others, who have overcome obstacles, and that is the only reason. So from that point of view, I don't compare it to anybody because I know I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not Joe Rogan or I'm not Rich Roll or I'm not, you know, any of those guys. And I don't compare myself to them because our podcasts are different. And, you know, this is what I'm doing and, and people are, you know, listening and, and, uh, and I love it, man. I just, I love connecting with people and I love hearing the stories and I love the fact that people are listening and hopefully relating to, you know, to what we're talking about. And hopefully after this too, they're going to visit your website and check it out and, and, uh, you know, if they need some help, get the, get the help they need. So I love it, man. And, uh, love talking to you. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, uh, to talk to me and, uh, let's do it again for sure. Absolutely, brother. Love it. And, uh, and thank you for having me on and, uh, and we'll, uh, 
hopefully, however you phrase it, return the favor or ask you <laughs> politely. But uh, once we launch, we'd love to have you on as well. Obviously, you know, we love love your story. So it goes both ways. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do that for sure. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Be on the other side for once. Oh, yep. <laughs> All right, brother. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, have a good day, man. You too, man. Okay. okay. Well, that was awesome. Thanks, Eric, for for joining me on the podcast. I truly am grateful for you taking the time to come on the podcast. And I'm truly grateful for all the listeners to listen right through to the end. That was a little bit longer than normal, but honestly, I couldn't justify cutting anything out. It was too important. The information is too relevant to try and downsize the podcast just because it might have gone you know a little bit longer than we're used to but uh, I hope you enjoyed it you can find Eric on all the social media outlets um, under we're all a little crazy and the website we are all a little crazy which is w-e-a-r-e-a-l-l a L I T T L E C R A Z Y dot org. You got that? <laughs> that was a mouthful, but the point is it's under we are all little crazy dot org. I hope you visit the website, check out their celebrity alliances, um, the continuum uh, of challenges, a struggling to surviving to thriving, their initiatives. They got a blog on there. Check them out on social media on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn, everywhere that you get your stuff. And please follow me on my social media, Beyond the Big Red Truck on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, or under my name, Brad Robinson. Please share this podcast. It is so important. The more we can do together, as me and Eric talked about, we are stronger together. The acronym for team, together everybody achieves more. Let's do it together. Let's share. And please leave me a comment if you feel it necessary. I like to hear all kinds of feedback because it helps on the next podcast. Or send me a message of somebody that you might want to have on the podcast. I got a couple of great podcasts coming up after this amazing podcast. So we'll listen to this one first. And then next week we'll have another amazing guest for you to listen to and learn. All right. That's it. I'm out of here. Have an awesome day. I'm Brad. And this is beyond the big red truck podcast.